Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. This is our last podcast talking about the 2023 season. For some of you, that is depressing. And for some of you, 2024 can't get here soon enough. Folks, it's going to be a long offseason. Sometimes I feel like I am the group therapist for the TCU fan base. I'm the group therapist for Horn Frog Blitz. And for all of you that uh, listen to the Frog the Frogcast faithfully, uh, it's going to be an uh, off-season full of angst. It's going to be an off-season full of uh, emotion. And so if you thought that watching us lose to Oklahoma as bad as we did was rough, man, you just wait until early September. Because between now and then, there's going to be a lot of bro chest beating about what went right and what went wrong and what everyone thinks should change. Well, I've got the, the godfather of TCU uh, reporting and information on here with me as always, Jeremy Clark. So I'm not going to waste any time here. If you've been on our message board for uh, the last week, and especially since the last snap, or maybe since about the first quarter of the Oklahoma game, all there has been is one uh, burning question. Are there going to be any coaching changes? Jeremy, I know that uh, people don't get fired on the tarmac unless their name is Lane Kiffin, and that this process lays out uh, a lot differently than what one would think. I want him fired at halftime. If he comes back out here for the second half, he's an idiot. Walk us through what has transpired since the game ended and break some news for us of what you know right now. Well, what has transpired since Friday, about 2.30 p.m., short answer, nothing. Um, The coaching staff was off Saturday and Sunday. I posted on the board about them being off. We had uh, um, information given to me that the coaches were going to have their exit meetings today. Sonny was going to have their exit. Gosh, darn it. I can't talk exit meetings today with all of his assistant coaches. And that happened today. They had a staff meeting later, later this afternoon. Every coach was in that staff meeting. So play it out the way you want to play it out. As of 642 tonight, as we record, There have been no changes to the coaching staff. And from what I've been told, and this can always change as college football things change, there's probably not going to be a change. And I know that's going to anger some folks. It's not going to anger me. I don't don't care one way or another. Um, You guys are going to be flooding the site with happiness or you're going to be miserable one way or another. You're going to talk about it. So – that's what I have to report. Sorry if it's not like what what if you guys don't like what I'm what I'm reporting. If it's not what you want to hear, um, but I can only give the information that's that's given to me. So, as of again, today is Monday, eleven twenty seven, two thousand twenty three, in the year of our Lord, Jeff. There have been no changes to TCU's coaching staff. Well, that's a lot to digest. I'm sure many of people just crashed on 635, 75 North, 820. Um, a lot of people pulling off the side of the road to grab their bag to help them breathe. Hey, that's what it is. So let's uh, let's digest that a little bit because there is a lot in that statement that says nothing is happening. There is a lot in that statement that says that nothing is happening. So let's let's pretend that you're Sonny Dykes for a day. And, and I know you would just to get his salary for one day. That would You would feel pretty good about that. How do you justify keeping Joe Gillespie? I think that's what we're really explicitly talking about, especially in response to the Oklahoma game. Justify keeping him on as defense coordinator. You're wanting me to be Sonny Dykes? Is that what it is? Yeah. What 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 is going through Sonny's mind to to he doesn't have to defend this position to us. I know that you know you're 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 nine ninety nine a month to Horn Frog Blitz and your thousand dollars a month to. Uh, the Flying Tea Club doesn't quite uh, get you a seat at the table, but justify this to fans. How, if you were Sonny Dykes, you're our, you know the fans turning on the reporters coming very soon, right? Because it's getting to be that part of the off season where I start to say things, and some people aren't going to like the things that I say because I'm I'm passing along messages. I'm the messenger and all this stuff. Well, when they don't start liking stuff. They start turning on the reporters. It happens at every site, not just TCU. You guys aren't that special. Don't do not flatter yourselves. I'm kidding. I love you guys, but you're asking me to go out on a ledge here, Jeff. Be Sunny Dykes for a day. 
how can I justify not letting go of Joe Gillespie? Um, I guess the way I look at it, it yeah, there's there's there have been some humongous. Um, I don't even call them lapses there because they're not really lapses, but there's just been some very bad games defensively. 65 against Georgia, 69, well, 62 technically against Oklahoma when you count um, offensive points. Can't really justify keeping a defensive coordinator based off those two games alone. Kind of what I look at is I don't have all the schedule in front of me. I don't have – you You kind of hit me with this question. I should. You should have – Text me that way. I could have done some work on this and wrote down some extra notes. I but what I could, <laughs> but what I could go off off the top of my head, I do know based off. Let's let's talk last year for instance. TCU was twelve and zero. They went twelve and one. They gave up thirty one points in the Big Twelve Championship game, which that was you know thirty one points. That's that's. Not low, but it's not high in today's scoring standards. 28 in regulation, that was enough yeah, to win the game. That was enough to win the game. But I think when you look at overall the whole the whole scope of things, you know, they, they gave up a ton of points to Michigan, but at one point in that game, wasn't it like 21-10 or something? Like defense was playing pretty solid. I think it was 21-6 at one point. Yeah, they, they had a defensive touchdown. Michigan scored a lot of points against every team they played that year. TCU was no exception. Michigan has a very talented offense. And obviously, Georgia, you and I had this discussion. You and I had the you and I've had this discussion with a lot of people. We thought, and, and a lot of people will agree with this, you could have lined up anyone across from Georgia that night, and Georgia's winning by 30. Yeah. Let me break some news here. Georgia is a better football program than TCU and has better players than TCU. And so, you know, I was, I was going to save this for when we dig into the OU game, but so let me, let me say this. Uh, I, I can put the national championship game in a bracket because, you know, Georgia was clearly there to play. They were in a position where they, they got the momentum as if they were, they got, they got reamed out as if they lost while having the advantage of winning. And so that Ohio State game, it gave Kirby Smart a chance to just, you know, ride them for a week and squeeze absolutely every ounce of potential out of what is clearly the best roster of the best program in the country right now. They're on the cusp of doing what Nick Saban's never done, which is win three in a row in the play, especially here in the playoff era. But giving up that much to Oklahoma, that that felt worse. That that felt a whole lot worse than the national championship game. Maybe it's because our offense actually showed up for OU and was was able to put some points on the board, but you know the phrase that you and I used, uh, you know, probably about a week a week ago was uh, OU was gettable. That OU was gettable. The Oklahoma offense had not done that to to BYU. The Oklahoma offense had had struggled uh, at points throughout the season, and then everybody, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks or Dylan Gabriel, not Dylan Brooks. I keep saying that. Dylan Gabriel felt like he had seven to seven and a half minutes in the pocket to, to find out which guy he was able to, to connect with. So I, I just, I, that, that last game left a harsh taste in my mouth. So I'm going to do what everybody on the message board is doing to you and I, which is just quoting us back to us. Remember when you guys said this is the most athletic team? Remember when you guys predicted we go 11-1? Yes, I said that. I have a podcast with my voice saying that I did that. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, you can just quote yourself back to me all you want. Last week I said that, uh, that uh, Gillespie was safe, especially coming off of what he did against Texas. And I, I stood by that. He had, in my mind, he had two bad games this year, the very first game and the very last game. And so where I'll, I'll, I won't put you on the spot for this one. I'll do the easy stuff. The justification that he could have to keep him is – we had a bad game against Colorado where if uh, you know Chandler Morris doesn't make a couple of bad throws in the end zone in the you know in the red zone that the frogs win that game uh, in a shootout against a team that has only gotten worse every game since then uh, he, he, it, it could potentially keep around and you know the last game of the year there's there's no defense for it there's no defense of giving up 62 to Oklahoma but everything else in between it, it, it felt fine it didn't feel any all that different than last year other in in 
you know, the Frogs haven't been able to run the ball this year. This is one of the things I put on our board that has really frustrated me that nobody talks about it. Who's calling for the head of the offensive line coach? Because when Amani Bailey's having, what, four yards in the first half against teams that we should be just running all over, that's embarrassing. Go look at pro football focus rating of our interior line. That is embarrassing. Our inability to run the ball is pathetic. And if you think, well, those are completely separated. Well, when you can't run the ball, you, you can't stay on the field and you can't drain the clock and you can't give your defense a rest and, 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 and heaven forbid, get coached up about adjustments that need to be made in those, you know, while their offense is on the field. So I think there's more issues than one. I, I would have been comfortable if they let Gillespie go. I think it would have been a wise move, but I understand why Dykes is, is keeping them around. So we'll we'll see how it all plays out this year because as we know, uh, fans are really calm and non anxious and centered and and don't blow up uh, at uh, reporters because they they just you know they don't take it too seriously because it's just a game. <laughs> I I will defend us though. Just because you're athletic doesn't mean you're a good football team. And I still stand by my I still stand by my statement. Top to bottom, this was. This is a very athletic team. When you can, when you throw in all those talented freshmen they have, they are. I think they have a very high ceiling um, to do some things. Eleven and one, yeah, I was hell. I was real wrong. But getting back to um, you know, kind of what Doc's process thought process is. If you look at last year, pretty much Gillespie kept them in every game. That the defense gave up some points. But the offense was there to generate enough points to get some wins. Um, I think the thing that really helped them is – or helped Joe was last year when TCU was really the talk about college football. The committee came out and we didn't know how well they were going to play defense. And then – they go out and they play a game like they do against Texas and they basically hold Texas to three points. Okay. That team is a loaded team. Everyone going into that game predicted Texas to win. That was a hostile environment. That's, they were, that's, they were favored. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They, they were favored to win. That was a hostile environment. Game days down there and TC goes down there and they hold that high flying offense to just three points. And I think that's when everyone started to recognize TCU as a team that does play complementary football. I know that's last year. This is this year. So let's talk about this year. If you talk about that Colorado game, I think it would have been difficult for anyone to prepare for that game. I think no matter who they played, Colorado was going to go out and score some points. And I said on this very broadcast, if they played two or three weeks later, I think TCU wins that game. I think they win it. You had a chance to win it with with basically going into a room with the blindfold on, not knowing what you're going to find. And you have your quarterback throw two red zone interceptions. You miss a field goal, and you still only lose by three when a team is playing probably their best football game of the year, and TCU loses by three. I know people aren't going to like what I'm going to say next. But I really think this weighs a lot in the way Sonny looks at things. If you look at a certain SMU team, SMU is 10 and 2. Yeah, they play in the American Conference. They're not playing P5 programs every week. But if you look at what SMU has been able to accomplish this year as an offense, they're scoring a massive amount of points. They've got two losses. They lost 28 to 11 to Oklahoma, which was 14 to 11 going into the fourth quarter in Norman. So they actually, SMU actually played TCU, played OU better than what TCU did. So let that sink in for a second. So two weeks later, after they beat Prairie View AM 69 to nothing, which they should have, they come to TCU and they're held to 17 points which was their second lowest point total of the season. Now, when I look at you know what TCU's defense has done, and if I'm playing Sonny Docks here, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at SMU's offense because the, the very first thing that Sonny said after that game 
was we just beat a great football team. That team is going to win the rest of their games of the season, which he was he's right, and they were going to be favored to win by at least by by 10 points every game they play in the rest of the year. That was a P5 roster that SMU has. I'm sorry, I hate I know it's going to make people mad, but it is. They have a P they have Kamar Wheaton who was a five-star running back out of high school. Preston Stone was a four-star uh quarterback. They have a massive experienced offensive line, great skill kids, even Jordan Hudson, former five-star, former TCU guy. Their defense had a lot of kids that were transfers from P5 programs playing the defense. TCU wins 34-17 and I think that's when kind of thought, man, they're going to they're going to flip the script here. Then you hold Houston to 13 points. Houston almost beat Texas. Okay? You you lose to West Virginia 24-21. I haven't looked at West Virginia's schedule, but I'm sure 24 is probably one of their lowest point totals this season. Iowa State just beat Kansas State in a crazy game, snow game. It was fun to watch. They scored 42 points on Kansas State on the road. They only scored 27 at home against TCU. So that's another thing. The other game that kind of I look at, BYU 44-11. Okay, BYU finishes five and seven. They finished the exact same record as TCU. But when TCU played them, they were four and one. If, I, if memory serves me right, they're four and one. And they totaled 234 yards of offense. BYU did. Took Oklahoma to the wire and took Oklahoma State to overtime. Yeah, that's what I was about to, that's that's my other point I was gonna say is, you know, BYU's five and seven, but they lost they lost some close games as well. And this was a team last week, if anyone was bored and at home watching you know, college football all day, Saturday, Friday and Saturday, you saw that game against Oklahoma State. The, the very same team that's going to the Big 12 championship, love them or hate them, they're going to, a, to the Big 12 championship, and BYU forced them to go into overtime. Okay? BYU, what was the final score in that game, Jeff? It was They scored 28 points. Was it 31, 28? 34, 28, something like that? Yeah, that sounds right. So, on the road, BYU puts up a lot of, a lot of points, a lot of yards. So, we, we know their, their offense has somewhat of a heartbeat. Against TCU, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything against the Frogs. So, I think if I'm Sonny Docks, I'm evaluating everything as a whole. I'm not going to take in two games. Yeah, do I have aspirations to be a college playoff team? Do I have aspirations to make my program into a blue blood? Absolutely. Is that a year or two away? <laughs> There's no way in you know where it's one or two years away. It takes a long process of becoming a program like that. TCU made it to the national championship game last year. They gave up 65 points. Uh, who cares? They made it to the national championship. To me, that's the way I, the way I look at it. I'm not going to take the games that Joe Gillespie's defense has given up a lot of points and said, oh, you suck as a defensive coordinator because there's been some games and someone, I think maybe Jay Parker made a post about this today, where the offense didn't show up, they lost the game. Defense didn't show up, they lost the game. And there's a couple, there's a couple games where neither one of the teams showed up. But there's a couple games, Jeff. West Virginia comes to mind. Iowa State comes to mind where the defense absolutely did their job. And they scored it. They they held their opponents to a low enough score to where TCU should have won that game. I'll put Texas in that game in that category. And, and Texas too. Yeah, you're you're yep. absolutely right. They got they got behind. They got behind in the in the first half, but your defense is on the field. It's 13 to 6. Your defense is on the field. You throw, you you give up a touchdown, make it nineteen to six, and your offense comes on the field, throws an interception, and puts you deep in their own territory. So next thing you know, it's twenty six to six. This defense has been put in so many bad places this year that just remember the Houston game is thirty six thirteen. But remember how many times the defense was put into some horrible situations that game. And that's when all of us were starting to talk about, hey man, Joe Gillespie's defense. Hey, look out! I mean, we're we're starting to we're starting to see some things. So I think as a as a whole, 
yeah, there's been there's been probably a handful of games, maybe six games in two years. They played 15 games last year. They played 12 this year, 27 games. Where I look at the defense and say, holy crap, this is bad. This is horrible. Can't make plays. But I'm not going to – you know me. I'm not always going to put blame on a coach. I'm not. There's there's a lack of defensive line pressure. I think there's there's a talent gap up front. I think the Frogs missed the heck out of Dylan Horton this year. Uh, I didn't think we were going to – you know, they were going to miss him like – they did, but he really was a, a, a excellent pass rusher. Um, I be honest with you, man. The guys we thought were supposed to be good did not play up to par this year. The safeties didn't play really great. I thought Abe Kamara played good, but as much as we all thought Bud Clark and Mark Perry at safety, Josh and, Newton, let's say it, yeah, Josh Newton at corner. Those those guys, you know. Texas Texas abused the TCU corners. I mean, it, it was bad. So, I think some of it has to go with player execution too. And, th- and there's times too where Sonny's never going to call out a player. He's not. He's not going to say, "Well, you know, Bud Clark should have done this, or Mark Perry should have done this, or you know, if 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 we would have had Dominic in there, and not Sony Missy, we would have made a play." He's never going to call out players, but he's going to say certain things like, "Well." We had the defense called right. The safety should have been there, but he wasn't there. There's there's times where they call they call the right things. Missed tackles. You can you can count that on you can count that on uh, coaching, or you can count that on the players. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, did you watch the Iowa State Kansas State game the other day? I absolutely did. Snarmageddon, snowmageddon. So did you see the long twenty four was going off? He breaks the long run, and number eight from Kansas State. Runs up behind him, doesn't even try to use his arms to tackle him, just try to, to shoulder him, hits him with his shoulder, try to knock him down, and projects the kid like <laughs> seven yards ahead of everyone because he didn't. I mean, to me, coaches don't teach that. Coaches don't teach that. And so when I see some of the, the, the plays that TCU defenders make where they're grasping at air and they're, they're just taking bad angles tackling, I've been to practices, Jeff. Those coaches don't teach that. They don't. And as much as people hate to hear that, I'm being honest. That's not my opinion. Me predicting 11-1, and one, that's an opinion. Okay? Me saying this is an athletic team, that's an opinion. Me saying the coaches don't teach these kids how to tackle like that, that is a fact. I saw it with my own eyes. So I think a lot of it has to do – I think Sonny's looking at that. And I'm talking forever, but I know this. But I think – I think Sonny takes all of those things into account and he probably sat down with Joe today and said, listen, we have to fix something. We're not going to go from the three, three, five, because that's what we've, that's what we've recruited for, but I need you to be more aggressive. I need you to put the linebackers up as close to the line of scrimmage. Like you did at Tulsa. I need you to bring more blitz. I need, I need to do this. Do we have the personnel to do that, Joe? If not, who do we need to go get? I think those discussions were had. And I think the discussion was probably had too that listen, this is this is it. This this next year, this will be year three. This is gonna be your guys. Let's see what you can get done. And obviously if we see the same kind of results next year, then I'll I'll be the first to tell you. I don't I don't see how Sonny can't make a change. Joe Gillespie is genuine guy. West Texas, salt of the earth kind of guy, just one of the nicest guys you'll ever talk to in your life. So you root for the guy. You root for him to be successful. I hope the guy is very successful. I hope for his sake and the fans' sake that he's going to be successful. Um, but I, you know, you ask me a question, that's, that's about as honest answer I can give. People are going to disagree. That's fine. That's what your God-given right is to to have. You can agree or disagree with with things I say, but um, you know that's just uh, the way I think you evaluate some things and think moving forward. Um, we'll see how it works. I mean, that's that's all you can do. Well, I think we could talk for two hours on coaching changes, and let, let's just be really clear. Um, you, you don't have a dog in this fight, and I 
I know, you know, when you and I will gently talk off the record, you're, you're not pushing propaganda. And I don't think Sonny told you anything to, to say today, even about, you know, when I put you on the spot, why, why, why would you defend this? Um, but it's going to be a lot of angst. We could talk about this forever, but it looks as if the decision has been made and not making a decision is in and of itself a decision. We'll see what, we'll see what comes of it. I really like your comment. This is, this is Gillespie's defense and personnel. This is his third year in the program. It's all on him. And <clears throat> what I will also note is that Dykes feels comfortable tying his future to Gillespie's future and tying his well-being to Gillespie's well-being because we all know when you start dropping off coordinators, you know, in other programs, they, you know, the, the next move is the head coach. All right, you fired the OC, you fired the DC, nothing happened. It's all on you. And Sonny is quite comfortable with that. And we'll, we'll see how it rolls out next year. Honestly, think if this was kind of like Baylor's situation and you're two years removed from a significant season, you know, two years ago, Baylor played in the Big 12 championship. The last two years for them has been terrible. This is year one for TCU being terrible. Um, and whether you guys like them or not, Joe Gillespie did help TCU reach a national championship. Was it a good showing when we got when, when TCU got there? But he was he was part of that equation, and he's been part of the equation this year to help them get the wins that they've been able to get. Hey, every team except for the top eight programs in the country would have traded spots with us. That's what I always say. You know, everyone except the top eight or nine programs in the country would have traded spots with TCU last year. It, it, I'm not going to say it was a novelty and therefore we should just enjoy it for what it was. But, hey, I was there for, for both playoff games, and it was real. They beat the number two team in the country, led bumper to bumper. And then, uh, yes, they got blown out in the national championship. But guess what? A lot of uh, semifinals have been blown out, and nobody is sitting around cracking on them, saying they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. So it's just it's just how it's shaked out. Just Michigan's only lost the last two years. TCU. The mighty Texas Christian University Horned Frogs. All right, so let's use this as a gentle transition. Uh, there is a coaching change that involved a team up north in Norman that sent, it, sent their offensive coordinator down to Mississippi State. Uh, Jeff Levy leaving. Uh, do you anticipate any changes from uh, uh, TCU staff? Are they gonna? Is he going to hire his brother-in-law? Is he going to hire Kendall Browse? Do you want to hire anybody else that had connections with him as Baylor? Anything that you can share just in uh, of, of what you know with Levy becoming a head coach at Mississippi State? Yeah, I've, I've been asked the question about him hiring Kendall for like the last 24 hours by multiple people, and it's not going to happen. Uh, to me, You know, part of the reason why I think Mississippi State brought in Levy was not because – He's been a head coach before. He has CEO. He has he's been able to delegate. They brought him in because of his offensive play calling. And I think he's a lot in the sense like how Oregon used Chip Kelly, how I mean heck, TCU and Gary Patterson. Chad Glasgow had defensive coordinate coordinator next to his name. He damn sure was not the defensive coordinator of that defense. Gary Patterson and everyone knows this that Gary Patterson made those calls on defense. And I could see Levy doing the same thing, just like uh, what's his face? Uh, what's his face? The Cowboys coach McCarthy. You know, he calls the offense. He's the head coach, but he calls the offense. And so, I don't think it's too much of a chore for a head coach to call either an offense or a defense. Britt Venables is kind of the same way. But um, I think for for Jeff, I mean, why hire a guy? I mean, you love your brother in law. They're they're really good. You know, they're very close. And I'm sure it would be a dream come true for them one day to be on the same staff. Now, if if you would have told me Kendall Browse is a defensive coordinator, then yeah, absolutely, 100%. I could see that scenario playing out. But when they're doing the same position, and I fully expect Jeff Levy to be calling the offense, I, I don't see I don't see Kendall, you know, taking that job. Now, I've made posts about it. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I did make a, a comment that, that said I'd bet he would look at cause. Cause and Jeff Levy are very close. Matter of fact, last year when this whole offensive coordinator search started happening with TCU, if you all remember, I included Jeff Levy on that list because cause had reached out to Levy. He had reached out to Kendall Browse, and everyone knows they weren't going to pay Levy's buyout. 
But the fact of the matter is cause is very close to Lebby and, and people that I've spoken with through this industry have always, you know, told me that, man, if Lebby ever gets a head coaching job, watch out. Cause his first call is probably going to be to coach cause because they're, they're just so close. And I know that he likes what cause does as a strength and conditioning coach. Now I will say this, um, cause has a son and I was told by someone that, if he went to Mississippi State, he probably wouldn't have a chance to go watch his son play football. And that's real important to cause to to be able to watch his son play. So it may not happen this year, but it could happen next year or, you know, whenever. But as far as like other guys that were at Baylor at the same time Lebby was, I haven't heard anything about Carlton Buckles um, being a name um, that he would look at. But I, I, I would say anything that, it, it wouldn't shock me in the least. Now, I'm not saying causes leaving, but it would not shock me in the least if Levy at least picks up the phone and inquires about him and, and see if he'd have any kind of interest in, in going down to Starkville. Well, speaking of Oklahoma, there was a recent decommit today. You had kind of put us on notice that there was somebody we needed to keep an eye on as Frog fans because recruiting is, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes between now and National Signing Day because you know, 10 years of covering this, there's always chaos. There's always surprises. There's always someone whose fax machine doesn't work and all of a sudden he signs with another team. Who's the guy that decommitted from Oklahoma and what are the chances you think he's going to land at TCU? Because if you've been following recruiting, that is the last name that should sound very familiar. Dozy Ezukama. Um, he's been on the radar for a long time. Um, TCU was really high on him in the beginning and then they kind of started chasing after Wesco a little bit more, and then they ended up getting Ja'Kyle Baker. And um, Dozy, he was going to decommit from OU before all this news dropped with with, uh, Levy. Um, TCU's very, 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 very high on his list. Um, I would say he's definitely one to watch um, for, for, for the Frogs. Now... Timing is everything. <laughs> Timing is everything. He was part of, I believe, five commits, receiver commits for OU. And if I looked, I haven't really looked at Mississippi State's commitment list, but I would assume they weren't as loaded as OU was at receiver for their commitment list. And if he likes Jeff Levy enough, maybe he looks at Mississippi State a little bit. But I still feel really good about TCU's chances. Um, he's going to make an official visit to them pretty soon. And that's that's another thing. All this, you'll see some official visits starting to take place, and then you'll see signing day coming up here in a couple weeks. So it's 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 all going to happen in a flash. It's, it's going to be here before we know it. But, yeah, TCU's in a very good spot with uh, Dozy, and uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll talk – transfers next maybe yeah that was that was my transition next uh i i was either gonna go from one ou to another ou or personnel to personnel so talk to me about transfers jeremy it looks like uh well as we know it's transfer season the portal is gonna officially open up here guys that the frogs have an eye on um of course there's never any tampering a kid just puts his name in the portal and then sees who contacts him without any pre uh without any conversation before that and we're, we're going to lose some kids that's just you need to not lose you need to not lose your marbles when the frogs lose some kids what are you hearing on the transfer portal in terms of who's on the way out and who's on the way in well they're going to start exit meeting with players tomorrow and i fully anticipate there's there's going to be some kids leave the program there's going to be i mean this this is the hard part about college football this is the part where if you're a journeyman and you haven't made any kind of impact in three or four years and you're third and fourth string, you're probably going to be asked to graduate and, hey, you know, we'll, we'll help you graduate and then might be best for you to go look at another place to play football. Um, I don't want to mention names yet as far as guys at TCU uh, may be losing, but there's going to be some guys that are leaving. It, it happens every year, just like you said. This this isn't new. This is this is going to happen. This there's is go- this is the game today. This yeah. Is, yeah. Now there's going to be some there's going to be some players where you're you're uh, 
going to say, oh, best of luck to them. There's going to be some players where fans are probably going to be mad at the coaching staff. I'll just put it to you that way. Um, because <laughs> there's there's a few players that I've heard mentioned that are probably going to be leaving that are going to just upset the fan base. And that's all I'll say about that. Um, say, more about, as, say more about that. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to eat my green beans. Um, as far as guys are, they're, they're talking with, um, McAllister's officially in the portal. They talked to him tonight. I know, For those of us that don't live and die with that, t- fill all the fans in about McAllister. Okay, McAllister is an Azel boy. He's the he's the kid that was total stud in high school. It's a travesty that for some reason not one program in Texas offered this kid. I couldn't believe it. Um, kid is a big kid, decept- deceptive speed, uh, catches everything, has great body control. He's not slow. He's he's not as big as Savion, but he kind of reminds me of a Savion type guy. Um, if he comes to TCU, he will 100% start at Exercy next year. He is priority number one for them. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They want that kid. Um, he wants to be close to home from what I've uh, been told by my sources. So TCU's in a good position. Um, haven't heard anything about NIL come up with them, anything like that. So uh, my guess is TCU's going to work very quickly to try to get him in for a visit and uh, see if they can get him back closer to home. So um, I'll probably write something quick on that tonight that you guys will be reading probably while you're listening to this right now. Um, some other guys that I've asked about that have hit the portal recently that some guys have asked me about on the board, Will Rogers, quarterback. I really don't know what they're going to do at quarterback yet. Um, I don't anticipate Chandler hitting the portal soon, but it would not shock me because he graduates in May. If he's not starting in spring, which I don't foresee that happening, I think Josh is going to be the guy. It's crazy how we keep saying that. <laughs> I feel sorry for Chandler, but it's just it's, it's just the way it is. But then at that point, if Chandler knows he's graduating in May, he'll he'll if he, and he knows he's not going to play, I could see him entering the portal. Um, and at that time, he has no restrictions; he can go wherever he wants to go as a grad transfer. Um, so, Will Rogers asked, "They're not they're not going to take. They're they're not very interested." Uh, you guys that just entered the portal a few hours ago, Will Howard, Blake Shapin. Those guys are going to want to go somewhere where they feel like they could start. So I don't, I don't anticipate TCU looking at those guys either. Some people have asked me about Ken Sills, another Azel kid, uh, five minutes down the road from me. Great family, very close to the family. TCU doesn't have an interest in Ken right now. He's kind of not. He's more of a pro style pocket passer quarterback, kind of like Andy. Don't think he can run, but. You look up and he's got like a four-yard gain off his own read. It's crazy. Um, but they're going to go offensive line. They're going to go offensive line. They're going to go um, <laughs> defensive line might be you're about to open your eyes really big. Defensive line may have no movement other than the guys they're losing um, to graduation, the older guys. The, I don't anticipate them finding a guy – now, they've offered the kid from Penn, but so have about 40 other schools. I think that kid got like 25 offers in a span of 24 hours. I mean, he he's just big-time recruit right now. What, what about the tight end from Harvard? They're looking at him. Do you think they he'll are, qualify? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to pay the, pay the tuition that I'm going to have to be paying, maybe. No. Um they they are looking what's funny is they were they were looking at a offensive lineman from a JUCO here in in Texas and while they were looking at him they thought man this kid is really really good and they found out I'm not going to throw his name out there at school but he's just not going to get in TCU he's just not going to it's not and if you're friends with me on Facebook I posted about the kid cuz I got a text from a coach and it's perfect. Like kids have to see this. 
Because the kid could have had a P5 offer. And because his transcript wasn't good, his grades weren't good, he has no chance. So think about that for a second. But anyhow, while watching this kid's film, they noticed this 6'8 tight end that this particular school has. So he came over on Sunday just to get a quick measurement. And he was legit 6'8", 230 pounds. So they may start looking at him uh, as an option at tight end too with them losing Jared. So um, he's not obviously not a blocking tight end. He's more of a guy that's going to run downfield and and catch passes. Uh, They are looking at a few offensive linemen. Offensive linemen, like I said, is going to be a big priority for them. Um, I would say uh, cornerbacks. Cornerbacks are going to be big in the transfer portal. Um, there's going to be some. There's going to be some players that haven't really spoken about a lot this year on the roster that are going to be leaving um, from the cornerback position. And uh, so it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be an interesting uh, few weeks. It's this time of year where it gets it gets active and come here and listen to us preach about it with the preacher man and go to Horn Frog Blitz and. I know I'm not the best reporter that covers TCU, <laughs> but but uh, I promise you, I'll give you some good info from time to time. Well, here's my word of prophecy. Here's a prediction. Everybody can hold. They're hold. Everybody's been holding me to my old predictions. Here's a new one that you can grill me and burn me on. Next year, Will Howard will be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma State, and Gundy will uh, reload and have a heck of a team to put on the field again. And here's my other one. Oklahoma State's going to beat Texas in the Big 12 title game. Oklahoma State is going to beat Texas in the Big 12 title game. (sighs) From your mouth to my ears, please let that happen. Please let it happen. I don't care. You guys can at me. You Longhorn fans can at me all day long. I think Texas is going to win, but I'm rooting like crazy for Oklahoma State. I'm rooting like crazy for I, mean, I, I could I, I could root. I don't have to be objective in that game. I don't want Texas to win. I don't. I don't want I don't want them to savor the glory of winning the stinking championship in their last year in the conference. I don't want that to happen. Texas Tech had a chance to ruin it for them, and they Ooh. got beat by fifty stinking points. They got How about that with as well. How about that? Texas Tech loses fifty-seven to seven. That's another thing about Gillespie I brought up on the board. In two seasons playing Texas with all those draft picks they're about to have, because, I mean, anyone could readily admit they've got a great offensive line. They've got a pretty darn good quarterback. They've got a good running back. They had the best running back in college football last year that was held to 28 yards uh, against TCU. They've got, in my estimation, two receivers that are going to be taken in the top three rounds. They've got a tight end that's probably going to be taken in the top two rounds. Offensive line, they've got at least two or three guys that are going to be high draft picks. And Joe Gillespie's defense that completely sucks, according to some, I'm not being sarcastic, I'm just you know, I'm just saying what some have said. Somehow they get they hold that that offense with all those skill players to stink in 29 points in two games. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? I don't know. I have no clue how that's possible. Um, yeah. Well, here's my dream scenario. So we have the Pac-12 title game on Friday night. If Washington wins, they're, you know, if Washington wins on Friday night and beats Oregon, which I think I think Oregon's going to be favored, even though they'd already beaten them this year, then I would love for Washington to win, Texas to win, Michigan to win, Florida State to win, and Georgia to win. And you have a 12-1 and Big 12 champion, Texas, that gets shut out of the playoff because then the first time in the history of the playoff, four uh, undefeated teams from one of the Power Five conference, from, four of the, from the Power Five conferences, and Texas would be left out at 12 and one big 12 champions. That's the best. That's the dream scenario. So I'm, I'm pulling for Oklahoma state like crazy, but I want Texas to get left out. That's the most important goal. Well, you have to have, 
Georgia win. Georgia has to win. Washington has to win. Michigan has to win, which they're going to – I can't wait to see Michigan roll up about 40 points on Iowa. You're on, you're on mute. You're on mute. That would be the funniest loss, though, if Michigan lost to Iowa. After Iowa getting dogged on all year, all they're going to do is punt and play field. This is the best defense they're going to face that Michigan will face all year. It will have faced all year is against Iowa, and then have Ferentz go up. Brian Ferentz go up there, go out there and put like a forty-eight burger on Michigan. <laughs> that would be the best. That that would be the sign of the apocalypse coming. I mean, you know there is a. I like I like to. Uh, brag on myself sometimes there is a player on Iowa's roster that no one knew about before I watched his film and I tried to get particular people on him and I took him to our national guy and our national guy fell in love with him and this kid ended up being a top 247 player and he came from a town in a little bitty Iowa that you probably know more about than anyone. What's the what's the name of the town? Cooper, Dijon, Dijon, Dijon whatever his name is, came from. Because that pro- that town probably has less than a thousand people, and he's on every single NFL mock draft that I've seen as a first round pick. This is great, great podcasting here. I'm looking it up. Cooper Dijon, where is he from? Uh, old, old, Odebolt, Iowa. I confess, I've never heard of that. I grew up there. Odebolt, so Iowa. You've never heard of that place, which means it's even smaller. Yeah. So population I mean, of nine hundred ninety-four. There you go. I've, I've I found this kid watching, going down a rabbit hole, watching something else. Wasn't porn, Jeff. Quit looking at me like that. <laughs> it, it was. I was. I might, might have been watching another kid. No, I think it was because I, I always get fascinated with track times, and I start. I start looking at track times, and I see maybe his track time popped out to me. But anyway, I watched this film and noticed how. And you know me. As long as everyone's known me, I'm fascinated with small town kids that make it big time. That is my favorite thing to write about. Is when a kid. It's so good that he comes from a town that has literally one stoplight and more cows than they do people. I love I love writing about that. Love it with the passion. But this this kid is one of the best punt returners in the nation, and he's quite possibly the best cornerback in the nation. I can't compare him to anyone. Like he's big. He's like six two, I think two hundred and ten pound corner. Physical and fast as all get out. But there's been, like I said, there's been a lot of uh, mock drafts that have him as a first-round cornerback and, and quite possibly the first or second cornerback taken in, in the draft. So that's my that's one of my other uh, proud moments I have is, is finding, finding that kid because I think I took it to Barton Simmons and said, Barton, watch this kid's film because he was like a do-it-all kid uh, on offense and – this kid just has had a, a really, really good career at Iowa. But he's still they're gonna give up forty points to Michigan on Saturday is my prediction. Well, all my predictions this year have been wrong, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what Mine too. Yeah. My, that's why I told Jamie on the way up to, to Norman, I said like, you or maybe the way down, I said, Well, you 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 chose with your head instead of your heart and he said it was a hard thing to do, but I I couldn't. And I said, well, we were all wrong by about 40 points. So I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone expected uh, OU to score 69 and TCU to have 520 yards of offense, 45 points on the board and still lose by 24. That's the first time I've ever seen that. Yeah, there's a first time for everything. Hopefully we don't see that again. Hey, man, we've been going 50 minutes. I think we're going to wrap this thing up. You got anything else to share for the good of the cause? We clearly did not break down the Oklahoma game, but we suck, and they won, and we lost. Well, if you're a football fan, high school fan, that is, of the 19 
commitments, high school commitments TCU has for their 24 and 25 class, 12 of those kids are still playing for their teams. Deep in the playoffs, there's 10 of them, wait, 9 of them from Texas that are still playing that are going into the fourth, they're playing their fourth round of the playoffs this week. Uh, The two players from Oklahoma, LaDainian Fields and Wesley Harvey, are both playing in state championship games. So if you're an Oklahoma resident and want to go watch state championship football, go over to uh, Central Oklahoma University and and go watch all their state championship games over there. And you'll see LaDainian Fields and Wesley Harvey. And um, if you're a Louisiana resident, go down and watch Sterlington and Mitch Hodnett play in the semifinals. But you got Haas Haney still playing. You got Jeremy Payne, Nate Palmer, Tobias Steps. All these, all these guys are playing. I, I just did a story on it. I've got all your times and locations for you guys to look at. So if you, you want to go watch some good football, there's, there's probably a, a good game with a TCU commitment playing close to you. Hey, some of those guys could start next year. I think that's what we've determined unless the transfer portal really works out for us. Folks, we love doing this. We love covering the team. We love talking about the team. We've done everything we can to bring you good content every week after TCU uh, plays, whether we win or whether we lose. We will keep you posted on what's going on, on the chance that any other changes come our way. Coaching staff, uh, once National Signing Day gets here, we'll talk about transfer portal, who's coming in, who's going out, and what we can make of this frog class, especially as National Signing Day, early signing day sprints towards us. Uh, I just want to give my deep gratitude to everybody who listens to this show. I really appreciate all of you. You've been with us through thick and thin. And do me a favor. I want you to uh, get somebody else to subscribe to the Frogcast. Every time I bump into somebody new and they find out about it, they subscribe, they like it. And they're like, man, I wish I would have been listening to this for years. Well, next year we'll be going into our 10th year of uh, doing this this uh, this here podcast talking about TCU Horn Frog football. So you have my deep gratitude from Daniel Southern and from Jeremy Clark and myself for listening to this show. And until we get back together again, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. <laughs>